This is I Statements, a podcast where complexity, vulnerability, and curiosity collide. Today, our conversation will be centered around how intergroup dialogue has affected our experiences at Cornell. My name is Rachel Sumner, and I work in Cornell University's Intergroup Dialogue Project, or IDP. I first participated in intergroup dialogue when I was a postdoc here at Cornell, um, and one thing that I took away from that experience was definitely a greater appreciation for what's possible when people prioritize understanding each other, as opposed to, for example, winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? Um, my name is Baba Adijibe. I'm the co-curricular program assistant, so I also work for IDP. And my first experience with the Intergroup Dialogue Project was as a sophomore. I took the class. Um, and really what I took away from it um, was just a better understanding of myself and, and how I think, um, but also a better understanding of the world around me because I was exposed to so many different perspectives um, and learning how to value those perspectives as well. Hello, listeners. <laughs> My name is Jeannie Yamazaki. I am a junior here at Cornell. Uh, my first experience with uh, Intergroup Dialogue Project, or IDP, was when I took it in my sophomore fall. Um, and the sort of first experience that stuck out with me and that's kept me going is uh, a desire to be a better communicator and to connect better with uh, the people I interact with. Mm. Um, so you both mentioned this class, and I'm curious to hear, uh, it sounds like that was part of your first exposure to this practice of intergroup dialogue was a course at Cornell. Can you tell me a little bit more about that course and your experience of it? Absolutely. So um, I remember kind of walking in uh, to the classroom and seeing no professors um, and just saw like other students. And I was like, what? what's happening kind of thing. Um, and I didn't know what to expect, kind of walked into everyone was sitting in a circle, was not too sure like what to expect at all. And so like the structure really threw me off um, initially. Um, and, it was, and, and it was like unlike any other experience I had at Cornell. I had come from South Africa as well. And so this was like only my second year in the US. And um, it was different to any class I'd ever experienced, even throughout like my whole school. So um, it was very like uh, interested in what to expect, I think. Yeah, like Baba, I, I show up and I'm kind of like, like, what are we doing? We're, we're sitting in a circle. Like we're, I, I'm talking, I'm a teacher here. Like what, what is this? I think a lot of things helped me get to Cornell, but one of them was this ability to like follow what the teacher expected from me and like always knowing like what was needed from me and being able to like provide that like along the lines of the rubric, right? And, and so I still wasn't used to this idea of that like my own thoughts and experiences were like something that like I would imbue into the classroom space. And so um, I know in those early days, participating in that way was something that was a struggle for me. Um, that's my memory of that sort of first engagement. Jeannie, you are a facilitator right now. I am. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that role. You know, I think, right, they often talk about teaching something as the best way to learn it. I just, each time I get ready to bring material to the class, to discuss something in class, I know that I'm getting just a little bit better and I get to think about, I guess, like the different ways in which people are receiving the materials. Just understanding that like my understanding and the first sort of way that I took it in isn't the only way to mm -hmm. understand things. Mm. Um, I guess this kind of gets to like a very meta level, right? But as we talk about how there are different perceptions and experiences that color the way we experience the world, they also color the way we learn about 
what we're teaching, which is the fact that, right, these perceptions and experiences uh, change how we take in the world. And so doing that process and really being able to see myself as an educator and Mm -hmm. as someone who has skills to give um, has been truly like a transformative experience for me. Mm -hmm. Not to get like all sappy in the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Growing up, I was like a quiet kid. I was like a smart kid and my whole identity was like getting good grades and whatever. And it was like very one dimensional and the college process as a whole, but also IDP especially has helped me see that like I am a multifaceted human. Mm. Um, I have many social identities just like everyone else. Mm. Um, So seeing the importance of my social identities, also uh, seeing myself as like a capable person like having more skills and being able to connect with other people as like a human being and how I think that's made me just more of a thoughtful, like better person. Yeah, Mm. Baba's nodding. Yeah, Yeah. big time, big, big, big time. (laughs) I think going off that, I found that with IDP in that like the communication skills I was learning in session um, and the ways to think about the world and to think about social identity and to think about race and to think about power and privilege and things like that. I was just seeing both in the classroom and then seeing out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I really crave that like level of tangibility in that like I don't necessarily, that's why I did research in engineering. Um, I don't like kind of collecting data. <laughs> I'm sorry. Rachel, okay. our resident data collector, yeah. is offended. No, I'm not, I'm not. I, I, I understand that not everyone has my level of enthusiasm for data. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's less so like the problem with collecting data and more so like where does it go after mm-hmm. that? So I really crave that like level of tangibility and seeing what I do like, in the classroom spaces and in the real, real world and, and things like that. And so IDP was more of that um, and, and, and what I was doing in the classroom space, um, I would have an opportunity to practice in everyday life. Um, and for me, that really stuck out to me. And it really changed the way I think. It really changed the way I made sense of the world. I think most importantly, it really allowed me to be open to new perspectives, different perspectives, and not to be so one-dimensional and so focused on kind of myself and my own issues, but also to pay attention to what's going on around me. Hmm. <laughs> now Jeannie is nodding. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you both have kind of started to talk about this, right? Jeannie, you said it, it helps you connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Baba, you said, you know, it makes you open to more perspectives or yeah. these are skills you can actually use in, in in interactions with other people. You know, I think about the ways that intergroup dialogue has affected my interactions with, with other people. And one example that comes to mind is in a conversation with a colleague, she mentioned this like quote, American professional thing that I do. She described this as, you know, being kind of closed off or like getting uncomfortable and um, not making space for conversations that aren't about work, right? Like I would show up to a meeting and just start with like, okay, great, agenda item number one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to like, how's everyone doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, treating people like people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think I was pretty transactional in in some of my professional interactions. And in some ways I can see how this happened, right? Um, I grew up with a lot of messages about work hours are for work business only, right? You sort of check a part of yourself at the door when you're at work. And, you know, being a relatively, I'll flatter myself, being a young woman in academia, um, (laughs) I think I often felt like at conferences or things like that, that I had to demonstrate a level of seriousness um, to be Mm. taken seriously by like older academics, many of whom were men or many of whom had been in the field for a long, long time, right? And had um, credibility by virtue of their experience. And and so I can also see these ways that I'd maybe built up a little bit, like 
I have to be very serious. I have to be very professional for you to for you to think that I know what I'm talking about when I drop all this sweet data on you. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I think in some ways that conversation wouldn't have been possible without intergroup dialogue. I think the fact that this colleague articulated uh, an identity-related thing that I was doing, um, I think that we had a candid conversation about identity. Um, part of what I love about intergroup dialogue is that it makes space for people saying things that, that may otherwise be hard to say, right? Mm. And for people hearing things that may otherwise be hard to hear. I don't know. That's one example of how like I can really see intergroup dialogue showing up in the way that I interact with other people. Yeah. I think it's been helpful in the way I think about my own identity. So figuring out kind of my, I'm, a, I'm a black man. Um, and so coming from South Africa and so college was very new and interesting for me. And the things that I experienced as a black man in South Africa, I experienced some of them in America and the things that I uh, and there were new things that I experienced as well. And so um, it was just like kind of felt like I was dropped into this kind of new landscape, kind of like beamed in um, and had to make sense of it all. And what IDP helped me do was equip me with the tools to do that. And so like in conversations about race, instead of kind of steamrolling through them, um, I was able to then listen um, more effectively, talk to different people, um, understand their perspectives, and then ground my experiences in my own perspective and communicate kind of across these differences. Um, and for me, that was helpful in figuring out what was going on in the world around me and figuring out my place within systems mm -hmm. um, and figuring out how I perpetuate them consciously and unconsciously and how, you know, even with the most like joyful and good intent, I could still be causing some harm along mm -hmm. the way. Um, and doing that is like a very real and introspective um, experience for me. Um, and it really helped me just become um, better. I'm still working at it. Still fumble a little bit. Um, still, still don't have it one hundred percent. But I think um, I have some pretty gnarly tools that help. <laughs> I um, the example I'm thinking of actually, it's not at that level of social identity yet. Not that like you know things are in a linear process or a hierarchy. But I'm talking like my ability to like have an opinion and like claim it is yeah. something that I struggled with for a long time. Going back to that uh, idea that dialogue helps us to not fear difference, right? And see it as mm. a way to um, like expand our understanding of each other. See difference as not a scary thing, but like, oh, this is so interesting. Like what mm. led you to hold this different belief or feeling? And I, I, I was thinking about how when I was younger, I would with really basic things like movies or music or like pasta dishes, mm. just wait for someone else to say their opinion. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Mm. Um, or, you know, if I say I'm like, you know, I, I was young, I was in high school, like, I don't I don't like the new Taylor Swift album that much. And then someone's like, really? I thought it was great. And then I'm, you know, I'm backtracking. I'm, you know what? You're like, yeah, you're right. I guess like she's pretty good. Like, yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that. Sorry to the Swifties out there. No, this was a this was a purely fictional example <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> no, but the the point of that example is that I would water myself down because I saw difference as something to be feared, even something as basic as a difference in musical taste. Mm. Um, right, and if I can't even have difference of opinion about musical taste, then I can't. I I definitely wasn't able to talk about things like uh, oppression and like gender in sexual orientation and race. Um, 
Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to have different um, opinions from someone else, different experiences from someone else, and they're not any less valid. Uh, that has been really like a big impact mm -hmm. from intergroup dialogue on me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those differences are, are huge. Um, I'm just thinking about so many instances where I've pre-IDP Baba would would go into situations and experience differences and be like, yeah, that's it, done, cancelled, like, see you later kind of thing and never kind of speak to or deal with that person again. But I think where I really started to find value is really when I started to engage in those moments of conflict. One example I'm thinking about is, you know, while I was at Cornell, I was on the football team and the Kaepernick uh, saga was going down and we had... Um, people on either side, um, some people kind of for Kaepernick and his movement um, and some people um, who, who saw it differently. And uh, I remember having conversations in the locker room and them being very kind of explosive. In those moments, I would react in a very like closed off way mm -hmm. and I would eventually pull back and, mm -hmm. and kind of storm, storm off. That wasn't necessarily the best thing to do in those moments or necessarily the most productive thing to do in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, and I think after going through IDP and learning those skills, those conversations became different. Um, I was able to have um, very, very productive conversations with my teammates about things like the Kaepernick incident. I mm -hmm. um, was able to communicate my side um, and the way I saw things and the way I, I viewed what he was doing. And then being able to listen to their side and, and being open to understanding you know, how they were seeing things. And even if we didn't necessarily agree to everything in that moment, what we could do is connect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that that's missing. Even in the midst of conflict, we could connect. Mm. Um, and that for me was big. Yeah. I think it is hard. It has been hard for me sometimes in those points of conflict or disagreement to remind myself that connection is possible. I think I think of this one example where we were doing an activity um, when I was participating in intergroup dialogue. The facilitators would read a bunch of statements and then people had to sort of indicate how much we agree or disagree with those statements. These statements were around things like feeling like if you were to have a family, you would be expected to leave work for a while or you would expect to leave work for a while. And in a conversation after this activity, one of the students, he was a man, said, well, you know, these statements that you read, they're just not really relevant. I wish you had included more things around like publications or conferences. And I was shocked because to me, they were so relevant. I felt so emboldened to be like, hey, now, <laughs> let's use some I statements. Yeah. Um, they're not relevant to you. They are very relevant to me. I <clears throat> have thought about all of these things before. And I'm uh, it was a moment where I felt myself being surprised and, and realized that I had sort of taken it for granted that they were equally relevant to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it was an opportunity for me not only to share what I felt, but acknowledge that like, oh, my experience of thinking about what it means to be a professional has been informed by my gender, has been informed by, you know, this, this society in which I live. Yeah, yeah. I think the IDP experience of requiring you to bring your whole self I think is huge. Um, I forget who said it in the beginning, but you know, I think Rachel, you were talking about your your professional experience and how you know within professional realms you were socialized to kind of compartmentalize mm. things and leave things at the door. In IDP, it's like no, bring everything, <laughs> um, bring it all, um, and bring your whole self. And I think that not requiring you to separate parts of yourself mm. and having a learning educational environment which welcomes the bringing of your whole self for me was like huge um and and really helped me just become a, a more 
socially aware person? I'm just sitting here thinking about vulnerability, mm -hmm. I guess, as, as you two have spoken about your experiences and how the dialogue space has required vulnerability mm -hmm. from me in ways that I think I haven't always realized. Like, you know, I have all of, like, my therapist's, like, vocabulary, and I have, like, those feeling words, and so I, I have often thought that I was good at vulnerability because of that, but then mm -hmm. I reflect on these tough conversations that I've had. The one that comes to mind is one time someone in my house was, you know, arguing that they didn't find, like, mimicking a South Asian accent, like, offensive. And I'm thinking about how in that moment I had just learned some of our communication tools in class. Um, you know, I went into that experience just very upset, you know, tried to use some of our tools but warped them because really ultimately I was just sort of trying to prove my housemate mm -hmm. wrong and, you know, mm -hmm. this is why you're wrong. And, you know, I, I still think that, you know, it's not right. I still do think that there is that is an offensive behavior, but I reflect on how in that conversation I went in with assumptions about that person mm. and assumptions about um, you know how the conversation would go and how for me a lot of dialogue has been about like finding that balance of holding on to my own experiences and what I believe is right and advocating for that while also being willing to have my assumptions proven wrong mm. Mm. and how I think a lot of times for me, you know, that vulnerability of willing to have these sort of ingrained beliefs proven wrong is a scary space. And so I reacted in a not at all dialogue way of just like mm. kind of being on the offense or kind of just not engaging at all. And so, yeah, I'm just thinking a lot about what vulnerability looks like and how mm. it is a much tougher thing than I think I've realized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you talk about vulnerability because um, I think very similar to your experience, Jeannie, I had a lot of vocabulary about what it means to perform this, like mm -hmm. um, perform v vulnerability. Um, but um, I also wore this mask for a lot of the time that I was out there in the world and that I would often not be vulnerable. I've, I got good at performing it, um, but I wouldn't let people in, right? Wouldn't let people pass the facade. And IDP like stripped it and like trampled all over my little mask. <laughs> never again, never wore it again. <laughs> but really, um, it really both modeled and then encouraged me to model raw vulnerability, whatever that looked like, right? And so what if that looked like tears, then tears. If that looked like anger, then anger. If that looked like happiness um, over the fact that you understand my perspective, then yeah. And those are all valid and those are all okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that shifting paradigm um, around the concept of vulnerability was hugely um, beneficial for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to show up and be yourself and whether it's being your whole self, like you've talked about, Baba, or bringing what you believe, but also being a willing to let go of some of that. If, you know, someone shares a perspective that changes the way you're thinking about it, I've also found that to be incredibly difficult. I think I also, you know, we keep talking about social identities, right? This idea that, that as multifaceted people, um, we, we belong to different groups. And I think a challenge for me is that it's really hard to have conversations about multiple social identities. 
you know, I'm thinking of in a class last spring having a series of conversations about discrimination in the workplace broadly, right? And, and some of the people involved in these conversations over time were, you know, well-educated American cisgender, high SES, straight men of color. Mm. I share a lot of those identities, not all of those identities. And I was struck by the fact that so often these conversations ended up being about race discrimination in the workplace. Mm. And, you know, I found myself in the moment, like pushing myself to understand, like, why, why is this the thing that um, keeps coming up? Like, why? Um, if we're all in this conversation together, um, I want to understand why race is the thing that these students keep bringing up. And part of why I think those conversations are also hard is, is I'm a white person and I feel a little bit unclear about how much of my um, frustration or confusion or really having to push myself to keep being curious in those conversations is about the fact that I have not been on the receiving end of discrimination in the workplace because of my race. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's, I can say that it's hard because we're not talking about enough identities. I don't know. I think these conversations can be hard for so many reasons, and I can tell myself a story about why it's hard sometimes, um, and I never know how accurate that story is. Yeah, I think on the flip side of that, for me, what I found challenging about staying in dialogue was um, incorporating those new perspectives. You know, I, I am a black man. And so that was my most salient identity. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard for me not to talk about that yeah. uh, because it seemed like, you know, everywhere I went, that was what the world was telling you. You're black yeah. and, and you're black. And so you're being followed in the store because you're black. Mm-hmm. And, and they lock the doors um, when you walk past because you're black. So the world kept like, reminding me of this and so it just felt super salient to me i think for me what changed is that being in that dialogue space and talking about different social identities you kind of realize your experience is not the same um as everyone else's Mm. um and that's important to recognize and there are different things that make up different experiences for different people and that that sense of curiosity um for me help or help me to think about uh, where the balance was between being super cognizant of my experiences as my social identity um, but also being open um, and willing to to engage and, and communicate across mm-hmm. differences as well yeah i know i got i got a little quiet over at my end of the table <laughs> um just thinking again i got sort of in my feelings before and i'm still feeling those feelings and so i'm thinking about feelings and i'm thinking about as we do this work of asking people to Right, want to explore other people's identities and to share about those very salient personal identities while also right, exploring those other identities of their own. We, just, we ask so much of everybody. You know, we hear words like you know, tiring, frustrating, uh, just sad, exhausted. And I know as a very feelingsy person, my instinct is to want to like, protect and make the bad feelings go away Mm. and make everyone feel happy and laughing and getting along. Um, And it has been, you know, something I've worked really hard to learn that growth can't happen while everybody is happy and laughing, to let people be upset and Mm. to let people feel whatever feeling uh, they have. That is definitely, like, my challenge Mm. with intergroup dialogue. So I'm someone who 
has been at Cornell for going on six years now. He's <laughs> old. I'm old. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really. I'm 24. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after taking the class, I was like, this cannot be it. In fact, <laughs> I took the class, then went on to minor in inequality studies and, and, and. I was just so curious. And, and that curiosity kind of um, led me to facilitating. And so that kind of empowering experience um, as a facilitator really led me to do more work in, in, in the IDP space, um, especially leading up to what I want to do in life, which is be a physician. Um, and being able to personally connect with people is paramount to being a physician and is paramount to to being a good physician. And I want to be a good physician. I'm not going to know who's walking through my door. Mm. Um, I'm not going to know what social identities they have and things like that. But what IDP does is it allows me to to be able to communicate effectively regardless of the things that they have and to be open to listening to their perspectives and things like that and to consider different things that I maybe am not considering for myself. And thinking about um, patient care in that way for me is, is appealing because it allows me to be more tailored and more conscious as a physician. Jeannie just put her hand on her heart. And, oh, I'm wondering, Jeannie, why do you say? Why do I say... I guess I'm thinking, uh, as long as we're revealing our ages, I'm 20. Um, <laughs> oh, God, why are we <laughs> revealing our ages? Don't worry, I'm 21, 21, 21, 21. No, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> we're going to have to do a dialogue about age. I'm 33 and it's fine. It's fine. Um, all right, all right, back to me. Focus back on me now. All right, all right, we're listening. We're listening to Jeannie. Um, so, yeah, I am... 20. I have been at Cornell going on three years now, and I can think of, oh my gosh, I'm a different person from the person who came in. Absolutely. In in two and a half years, that's a very short amount of time to feel the changes that I feel like I've gone through, and those changes are endless. Um, You know, I mentioned being able to actually have an opinion now. That's pretty cool. I like like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as I think about my future and what I want to do, I'm in the environmental and sustainability sciences field. You know, want to want to save this planet. I think about how all of the different kinds of people who are going to need to work together to make that grand, you know, challenge. You know, to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about how intergroup dialogue, how it's given me tools and skills to even begin to think that I could maybe have a small part in making that happen. And so um, just the ability to connect with other people, um, I think that's what I really love about it. I think we're, we're a program full of big dreamers. Wow. Cool. Feel good. Yeah. Feel good. Yeah. should do this more often. Okay, great. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) This podcast is made by Cornell University's Intergroup Dialogue Project. If you're curious to learn more about our program, please visit www.idp.cornell.edu. Thanks and bye. Thanks and bye. (laughs) Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe. Cue the jingle.